Lord, you're big and you love us. That makes us glad. Now let the words that I say and let the thoughts that we all think be pleasing in your sight. For Jesus' sake, amen. Uh, it's nice to have rights, isn't it? Some of you who are young are being given more rights as you get older. And you're enjoying the freedom that comes with those rights. Uh, it's kind of in the air we breathe. There's something, there's maybe nothing that Americans, we Americans love more than our rights. It's kind of why we exist as a country. But imagine with me for a moment life as part of a family in which every family member always insists on their rights. Right? So little sister reaches for a toy, but older brother says, no, it's my right to keep that Christmas present all to myself. Then little sister asks dad to play a game, but dad says, no, honey, it's my right to watch football on the TV that I worked hard to buy. And the kids start to feel hungry, but when they ask the parents for dinner, the parents say, leave us alone, we have a right to relax. Anybody think it sounds enjoyable to be part of that family? I don't. Yet our world is becoming more and more of that sort of a family. Spouses leaving each other because I have a right to be happy. The rich ignoring the poor because I have a right to enjoy what I worked hard for. Christians blasting hateful words toward each other on the internet because I have a right to speak my mind. In a world in which it's so normal to live that way that many don't even think twice about it. What if we Christians are meant to stand out as the strange ones who decline to make full use of our rights due to our love for others? That's the vision the Apostle Paul lays out in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Would you turn there with me? It's page 1016 in the Chairback Bibles, 1016. Last Sunday, we concluded our Advent journey on which we saw, and I'm looking at these paintings over here, that God gave us his gift of a son. And then the son gave back to the father this gift of a perfect life that he lived according to God's law perfectly. And then the spirit gave us this gift of uniting us to Christ the son in such a way that his perfect life could become ours. And so we wrapped it up last Sunday with the reflection on our gift back to God. And it, it's a joint gift that we give with Christ. That perfect life, that perfect righteousness of Christ offered back to the Father. Those paintings represent the good news that our lives are meant to be built on. It's in light of that good news that Paul writes this letter called 1 Corinthians. It's a couple decades after Jesus' resurrection that he writes it. He writes it to a church that's a mess, right? So we've been working through that letter, and we took a break for Advent, but we pick it back up today. The Corinthian church was not living in line with the good news in many ways. They are teaming up into rival factions within the congregation. They're impressed by all the wrong people and all the wrong things. They're looking the other way, excusing egregious sin. It's not pretty. And right before Advent... We saw the opening arguments of Paul taking on the issue in this church of eating food sacrificed to idols. It's an issue Paul's going to spend three full chapters on, 8, 9, and 10. And for, at first some of us are like, idol food, not relevant. But we started to see in November that's actually quite relevant for us. These chapters hold significant implications for how we make decisions about alcohol and gambling and spending money and flying rainbow flags and so many other issues. 
We said uh, this is the layout of chapters 8 through 10, the argument Paul's making. He asks them to consider the weaker brother and consider his example, an example from the Old Testament, the Lord's Supper, principle of edification. Today, we're in chapter 9, this second part of the argument, where Paul makes his appeal based on the example that he himself has set for them by the way he lives his own life, namely, the way that he declines to make full use of his rights. So we only have a short time together this morning. We've got kids with us, which we love. So the sermon chopping block was active this week. Uh, I comfort myself by imagining I'll come back to this someday and preach each of these sections in more detail. But if we break this chapter into three sections, it gives us like five minutes on each section. I think a way to frame this that honors Paul's pastoral heart for his readers while making good use of our short time is to, to identify three questions posed by this text. So the first one is, Accept money or don't accept money for ministry. That's verses 1 to 18. Now there's more questions than just that addressed in these 18 verses. He talks about the right to get married, the right to eat and drink. But for the majority of this section, Paul keeps coming back to the question of whether or not to accept pay for ministering the good news of Jesus to people. So follow along with me as I read it, starting with verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 9. Paul says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I'm not an apostle to others, at least I am to you, because you're the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Don't we have the right to eat and drink? Don't we have the right to be accompanied by a believing wife like the other apostles, the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or do only Barnabas and I have no right to refrain from working? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and doesn't eat its fruit? Or who shepherds a flock and does not drink the milk from the flock? Am I saying this from a human perspective? Doesn't the law also say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is God really concerned about oxen? Isn't he really saying it for our sake? Yes. This is written for our sake because he who plows ought to plow in hope. And he who threshes should thresh in hope of sharing the crop. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it too much if we reap material benefits from you? If others have this right to receive benefits from you, don't we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. Instead, we endure everything so that we will not hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know, those who perform the temple services eat the food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the offerings of the altar. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. For my part, I've used none of these rights, nor have I written these things that they may be applied in my case. For it would be better for me to die than for anyone to deprive me of my boast. For if I preach the gospel, I have no reason to boast, because I'm compelled to preach. And woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if unwillingly, I'm entrusted with a commission. What then is my reward? To preach the gospel and offer it free of charge and not make full use of my rights. In the gospel. Now, <clears throat> in the most direct sense, the section we just read answers the questions should we really be paying our church staff? Answer yes, we should, according to Paul. And for those of us on church staff, is it really okay to be taking pay for this? Again, answer yeah, it is, according to Paul. But remember the context. The whole section of the this whole section of the letter is really about whether to eat meat sacrificed to idols. So since Paul is only bringing up ministry pay as an example, we can apply the principle he's laid out here 
more broadly to any number of rights, so to speak, that you and I may have. In other words, he's effectively asking, hey, sure, ministers have a right to take pay for their work, but should we use that right? And in his answering of that question, we learn something about whether to use other rights that you and I have as well. So to get right to the ways in which we're prone to miss, I think we have a ditch over here in which we're in danger of some, some of us gravitate towards stubbornly refusing to make use of our rights. Call this the masochism ditch, right? This is where we go when we slip into a little bit of a martyr complex, and we just won't enjoy what God has given us, right? And one problem with the masochism approach is that for all Paul says here about it being better to die than to take pay from the Corinthians, he does take pay for his ministry sometimes. Here's Philippians chapter 4, verses 1, 15 and 16. He talks about the Philippians, uh, even in Thessalonica, you sent me gifts for my needs several times. He commends them for that. Why take money from the Philippians but not from the Corinthians? The answer is Paul won't take pay from people he's presently sharing the gospel with or evangelizing to. Right? Take note, televangelists. But once a church is planted and he moves on, he's happy to take support from those past churches to support him with his present work in new places. That's a right that he isn't shy about exercising. And what that means is we have to be careful. We have to be careful that Paul's, what he's been saying here in 1 Corinthians 9 is not to fuel the masochism tendencies of those who would lean toward this ditch, right? Paul uses, you saw, you saw in what we read, a sense of common sense analogies about soldiers and shepherds, as well as scriptural support. He says, I'm not just saying this from a human perspective, it's supported in the Old Testament. For why God ordinarily wants pastors and missionaries to be paid for their work. And to extrapolate to a more general principle that applies to more of us here, God often wants us to make use of our rights. But there's another ditch to avoid over here. The one in which we're unwilling to lay down our rights. And Paul's main point in the section we just read is that he's going to refuse to go there into this ditch when love for others forbids it. Because he thinks it would create confusion about his motives, if he was taking pay from the people of Corinth, he won't make full use of his rights in the gospel to be paid by them, right? And what's that mean for us? It means that there's situations in which it's best not to avail ourselves of our rights. Settings in which it's best to refuse to do something that would be fine for us to do in another setting. He's talking about taking pay, but in context, this is just an illustration he's using to make a bigger argument, namely... That even if I've got a right, so to speak, to eat meat that was sacrificed to false gods, I'm not going to use that right if that might cause somebody else to slip up. I wonder what legitimate rights God might call you and I to be willing to lay down for the sake of others in 2024. I want you to be thinking about that. Let's think about that together as, as we work through this text. Secondly, live how we want to live or live like those we're with. There's overlap here with what we just saw, so we can cover this one more quickly. Here's verses 19 to 23. Although I'm free from all, Paul says, not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law. To those who are without the law, that's Gentiles, like one without the law, though I'm not without God's law, but under the law of Christ, to win those without the law. To the weak, I became weak 
in order to win the weak. I've become all things to all people, so that I may, by every possible means, save some. Now I do all this because of the gospel, so that I may share in the blessings. On Thursday, I sent out a 2016 sermon I preached on just these verses. A lot of this section is about the Jew-Gentile dynamic, Paul himself being a Jew by birth, but under the law, talking about Jewish people. Paul's desperate to reach as many people as he can. And like in the previous section, I think there's two ditches implied here. One is that we'd be so insistent on our freedom that we hinder the gospel. We don't want to go into that ditch. That we'd be so insistent on our freedom that we hinder the gospel. Think about what Paul could have said here. He could have said, I'm Jewish, which he was. So I'm going to maintain my strict Jewish separation from Gentiles. I don't care what barriers it puts between me and non-Jewish folks. On the flip side, he could have said, hey, in Christ, I'm now free to live like a Gentile. So I'm not keeping kosher anymore. I don't care what barriers it puts between me and Jewish folks. Or with respect to the weak, so to speak. He could have said, hey, I've now got respectable friends and wealthy supporters, so I'm not slumming with the poor anymore. I paid my dues years ago. It's time now to reap the rewards of comfort in my later years. He doesn't say any of that. No, Paul's willing to freely make himself a slave to the people he's with. And I know that sounds extreme, but I think it's important that that's the language he uses. Yet, that willing slavery has limits. There's another ditch over here, namely, that we'd become so enslaved to those we're with that we can't offer them gospel freedom. Paul saying, I made myself a slave, requires that he's not actually a slave to those around him. Contrast that with so many of us who, if we're honest, have slipped in this way at some point, turning into chameleons in the name of reaching people, right? You know, chameleons change to become like their surroundings. That's us, right? Before we realize what we were doing. Some of us have participated in, or at least approved of, behaviors not honoring to the Lord because we let our identity get wrapped up in what was happening around us and whether unbelievers found us respectable. But y'all, being chameleons is not the way. Our unbelieving friends aren't any better off if they look at us and just see mirror images of themselves. As much as we try to extend a hand to all sorts of people to reach them, we have to fight hard against becoming slaves to their acceptance. Because Paul really wants us to catch this clarification, I think that's why he inserts this in verse 21. He says, yeah, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, with, I'm, I'm without the law, but I'm not without God's law, but under the law of Christ. In other words, sure, live like a Jew when you're with Jews. Live like a Gentile when you're with Gentiles. Live like a Cubs fan when you're with Cubs fans, right? But... We're not becoming like those people to the degree that we join them in their sin. Even if circumcision and kosher laws aren't mandatory for us anymore, not mandatory for Paul anymore, we will always remain under the law of Christ. There are great examples here at Northsub of folks steering clear of these two ditches and walking this path with Paul. Many of you, your happiness doesn't rise or fall whether you're on the a-list in the neighborhood social scene, but you are making effort to have people over and to attend get-togethers when invited. You know you've got a right to roommate nights or family weekends, but you're choosing sometimes to lay down that right in order to invest in others who could use a taste of that love that you found in Christ. 
You're not blending in to the point that you're indistinguishable from your neighbors. You're not in this ditch. You know we got to be different, yet you aren't so insistent on your freedom that you hinder the gospel. I pray that in year 2024, more of us will follow your example. Right? But I imagine somebody saying at this point, hey, you, this kind of sounds like a taxing way to live life. Like, is it bad that I would kind of rather enjoy the rights I've earned instead of putting in all this exhausting effort to reach people with the good news? That brings us to our final point, enjoy ease or discipline ourselves. Now check me on this one. Make sure what I'm about to say lines up with the scripture. Let's look at it. Verses 24 to 27. Don't you know, Paul says, that the runners in the stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So... I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. The main ditch, so to speak, that Paul's correcting in these verses is wildly making undisciplined use of our freedom. Wildly making undisciplined use of our freedom. That's running aimlessly. Right? Imagine a cross-country runner just crashing into trees and crowds on the left and right of the course. Is a runner free to do that? Sure, but right? it's punching the air. Imagine a boxer who hears the opening bell and just starts flailing around the ring, just haymakers, just wildly not connecting with anything. Is a boxer free to do that? Sure, but Paul's saying that's how silly you and I look. When we're so insistent on availing ourselves of every freedom we have, every right we've been given. Like, we can live that way, but what are we accomplishing? I have a right to consume alcohol, but am I really doing good if I consume it every chance I get? I have a right to make purchases for my own enjoyment, but am I really doing good if I buy everything I crave? I have a right to relax. But am I really doing good if I use all my free time for my own relaxation? Better to discipline ourselves, to be intentional about where we run and about where we throw our punches. One specific area in which Paul applies this to himself is his physical body. Look at verse 27. He says, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Paul's effectively saying, hey, I might have the right to lay around and eat and drink what I want. But if I don't take disciplined care of my body, I'm going to get overweight and sick. And in my later years, when I want to travel, say, to minister the gospel to people, I'm going to be laid up and unable to do it. And why? Because I spent my earlier years insisting on my freedom to eat Twinkies? The undisciplined Christian ends up over here in this ditch. Right? And as such, there's maybe some merit to some New Year's resolutions of discipline this year. But there's danger in overworking. And there's a danger in being disciplined for the wrong reasons. The wrong motivations. And I think that's the opposite ditch implicitly addressed in this particular passage. Extreme self-discipline for personal glory. This is what the Corinthian athletes were working for. Glory. Right? Some scholars think that based on the timeline, it's likely that the Isthmian Games came to Corinth. Uh, when Paul was living there. The Isthmian Games were the ones that were second only in importance to the Olympics. And Paul draws an analogy from those games that his readers would have understood uh, when he talks about this crown. 
You see the perishable crown there? And scholars have found that uh, the crown that the winners would win in the Isthmian Games was actually made of celery. Uh, anybody like enjoy eating celery here? Any celery enjoyers? Yeah, okay. So here's our celery crown. Ms. Beth did a great job making this for us. Uh, at the end of today, maybe we'll award it to a celery king or celery queen. Okay, so take a look at this celery crown. Paul's like, hey, the world's top athletes do all the work they do to train their bodies, subjecting their bodies to pain, to discipline, for a celery crown? Celery is great and all, but what's this celery crown going to look like after a few months? Somebody call it out. Brown, it's already wilting from yesterday, right? Yeah. Friends, our world today is working hard to pull people into this ditch. Even as we're in danger of this one as well, right? I'm worried about it. And, I, and I, one quick example. Uh, maybe you've seen this, this short video has gone viral. I'm not going to put the video up. I think I can maybe recreate it a little bit um, so we don't get copyright issues. But uh, anybody seen this guy's video pop up? Okay. Here's, here's what he says. This guy's dead serious. And he goes, listen, here's, here's what I do. <clears throat> my day is from 6 a.m. to noon. My second day then starts at noon. My second day is from noon to 6 p.m. Now I work a whole other job. I do a whole other day. I'm not crazy. You're the one who's crazy for thinking that we still have to do things like people did when they lived in caves hundreds of years ago. Okay? My third day is from 6 p.m. to midnight. And that's when I get my third day in. So now after the end of a week, I've lived 21 days. Extrapolate that over, over a month, I'm kicking your butt. Extrapolate it out over five years, we've lived two totally different lives because I'm living three days for everyone. And this has gone viral. Everybody's been sharing it. Oh, yeah, this is hustle culture, right? This is what it should be. This is the work ethic we need. Um, set aside the fact that in the video he thinks people were living in caves 300 years ago. <clears throat> My question when I ask this, when I see this, is all that for what? Right? To be able to show what at the end of the day? And I think that's the question that matters. Like, as toxic as this hustle culture is, I'm not convinced that the answer is to just, like, fly over to the other ditch uh, and baptize laziness in the name of self-care. I don't think that's it. I actually think Paul's implying here that Christian's work ethic should stack up with that of world-class athletes. It says they do it to receive a perishable crown, we an imperishable crown. We should be willing to do for a permanent crown at least what they're willing to do for celery. But when it's truly for that permanent crown, for the sake of Christ and not for our own glory, we're able to run in a way that's honoring to him. That means at a pace that's sustainable, right? In which we're reliant on the Lord's strength. We're resting in him and not running ourselves into the ground, right? So, so hear me out. This ditch is a real danger. I'm not trying to minimize it at all. But I feel the need to zoom out on this once more just because I'm, I'm afraid some segments of church life today have lost the work ethic of Paul that's illustrated in these verses, which I think is the path he's calling us to. I don't know who needs to hear it, but carrying out our mission here on this earth does take discipline, hard work, self-control, spirit-empowered denial of many of our wants and desires. Do we have the right to hunker down comfortably with our Christian friends and Christian kids and get comfortable because it's a lost world, but we want to keep each other safe from it? I don't know. Maybe we have that right. Sarah and I definitely have had moments of feeling drawn to that life 
as our kids get older and are faced with more and more craziness in the world. But I don't know. That more comfortable approach kind of sounds to me like what the Corinthians were saying to Paul. Like, hey, it's too inconvenient to go meatless. Right? I'm going to eat this meat that I have a right to eat. Right? If it pulls other people away from Christ for me to do so, that's their problem, not mine. That's what the Corinthians were saying. Right? Paul's response seems to be, listen, if, it is, if that is in fact a right that you have, it's a right worth laying down, no matter how inconvenient, no matter how much discipline it takes. There are lives at stake here. And I'm convinced it's the same for us with many of the rights that we treasure. Our big idea for today is this. Let's imitate Paul's willingness to give up our rights for the spiritual benefit of others. Let's imitate Paul's willingness to give up our rights for the spiritual benefit of others. We Americans do. We love our rights. And coming in this new year, I'm thanking God we still have them. Anybody else? Like, what a blessing. I've got the right to earn a living, to enjoy my family, to own a car, to gather here openly with you all, right to take a day off each week. My rights abound. But I sure don't want to be part of a family in which everybody around me is constantly insisting on their rights. That sounds pretty close to hell on earth, right? And if I don't like that idea of being part of a family like that, then going into 2024, I don't want to be that guy who approaches my relationships with my church family or my relationships with my neighbors with a tight-fisted attitude toward my rights, right? I want to be willing to lay those down if someone could benefit from my laying my rights down in love. The way of the kingdom isn't the way of availing myself of every right that I can. The way of the kingdom is often one of saying, yes, I do have this right, but I'm not going to make use of it today in hopes that my neighbor might get a clearer look at the beauty of the gospel. It's, yes, I do have this right, but Lord, by my declining to use it this time, please remove one of the final obstacles between my friend and his embrace of Jesus. In other words, if there's a chance I can win my friend by letting go of this right that doesn't even really matter anyway, he's only going to benefit me in a temporary way if I do make use of it, that's a no-brainer. Of course I'll let it go. We're going to close today's service by singing one final song. Uh, it's a song that takes a traditional New Year's tune about remembering the old times, and it rewrites the lyrics to point us forward to remember Christ. But in hopes that we won't leave this scripture text in the realm of the theoretical or abstract, I'd love to invite you uh, to send in, in the next couple minutes, an anonymous text message. Just filling in this blank. Uh, the number's there on the screen, 224-300-0240. Here's the prompt, right? Though I may have the right to, what comes to mind? What's the Lord been putting on your mind during this last few minutes? I want to be willing to lay that right down in 2024. If it means I might benefit someone else. We're not talking about masochism. We're talking about just willingness to lay down our rights. What goes in that blank for you? Is it your free time? Your relaxation? Sitting with the popular friends at the lunch table at school? Is it family time? Is it self-indulgence? What is it? Just looking for one or two words for you to text in. Uh, take a few minutes and do that. Midway through this next song, I'm going to read out loud some responses that you sent in to this question. Uh, again, they're anonymous. Go ahead and text those in. And uh, during this song, we'll read some of those. Let me pray. Lord, We thank you for the ultimate freedom that we've been given, freedom from sin, freedom from death, and for that freedom that was purchased by the death of your son and from his resurrection. 
because we're bathing in that freedom and enjoying it going into a new year, we want to be the sort of people who are willing to lay it down. To lay down these smaller freedoms when needed, when it would be beneficial to somebody else. Please move in our hearts, stir in our hearts, and help us to hold those things loosely uh, so that we can prioritize love over our rights. In Jesus' name.